when I stop putting it on the other person to heal me. That gives me the most greatest opportunity for success. There's something about finding our own answers that just hits in a different way. The things we have permission to tell ourselves, another person could never say that. I got done getting rejected when I was done being rejected. I suppose the person you're going to meet is going to be able to handle you. If this is the way that God shines in this world in this way, so be it. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome, Mo. Mo Shachayim, Mo. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll find out. We'll find out who at the end of the. Uh... Which one? Right. There's a um, Rabbi Jacobson. Rabbi Jacobson always says this joke about a couple who's fighting over what to name their child. Mm-hmm. And when they bring it to the rabbi, they each say that they want to name the child Moshe. Mm-hmm. So he's like, what's the, what's the debate? So the couple explains that it's whose grandparents is after. Is it after the father's mm-hmm. father or the mother's father, mm-hmm. the name Moshe? So he says, why not do both? So one of them explained, well, my father was a very good guy, but his father was a terrible guy. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know what? Let me, he says, let me think about it for a little while. He comes back. He says, I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Name him Moshe. Mm-hmm. And when he's older, he'll tell us who he's named after. Beautiful. <laughs> no, that's, it's been definitely a journey, finding, finding the name and finding the meaning behind the name and the reads on the name. And um, thank God, with a lot of work. It's not just me, the people that I know. And it's definitely a journey. Naming my daughter was an incredible journey. I've um, had one of those. With one yeah. Sense, yeah. But I'm curious to hear, hear yours. So... Um, so I'm Sephardi, so we name after the living, so, you know, right. the names are written. <laughs> and uh, I knew what I was walking into. And naming, it, my mother asked me, she's like, so what were you thinking about when you named Esther? And my mother's with it enough to know that if you're naming, like, think of Esther Amalka, and, you know, not just me. I was like, honestly. Who is Esther, though? My mother. Your mother is, okay. Yeah. So I was like, no, I, honestly, I thought about you. She's like, like, really? Why? I'm like, because I'm. We're good. I know. I, I. I know. I know you're good. I know you're good. I know that you are good, and you have these fabulous qualities. And yes, I, but yeah. But what about Esther Amalka? I'm like yes, Esther Amalka too. But um, but I. I think so much of this inner work is a reclamation of the name, and a reclamation of putting Havaya back together, putting our names back together, and finding those letters in creation. Um. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Right. So we're jumping in a little bit into the. Uh... The deep end. So I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, regular, middle class, modern. Which part Sparty. of Brooklyn? Flatbush. Flatbush. Okay. 13th, I don't know. Um, I grew up there. I went to uh, a Sephardi Jewish day school, Magadavid Yeshiva, and then I moved on from there to Yeshiva Flatbush, graduated from Flatbush, and then went to mainstream Sephardi Haredi Yeshivas and grew up uh, in that system of that system. And it was fabulous. My father was Balchuva when became Balchuva when I was four, and I still remember TV kind of being on on Shabbos until it just became Shabbat, and you know that's what we did because that's what we did. <laughs> Steering away really was never an option, but I grew up with with kashras and davening and Torah and all that, and yeah, very regular. God, today. Um... Today you, you do your breathwork coach. You help people with mm-hmm. um, 
a variety of different things from a community that I don't know. Uh, I don't know many people from your community mm-hmm. who do this work. And I do know a lot of people from, from your community. Yeah. Um, so I, right when I got to Israel when I was 18, and I knew there was a part of me that was always searching. Um, to my name, I was reading Ramchal when I was 12. And there was this part of me that was always thirsty and looking for nourishment and looking for this thing called healing and becoming whole and thinking that there's a there that I want to get to. So was there a specific trauma that was there? Or was just Yes, <laughs> um, a variety, and, uh, whether it's just the regular standard stuff, whether it was a sexual kind, whether it was not having, um, being really teased in school and not so teased in school, um, looking for escape. And right. All right, here we go. It's an ad, but it's not an ad because I was paid. It's an ad as an expression of love and appreciation for someone who did a lot for me and this podcast specifically. I'm talking about Ryan Carter from Scarlet Row. Many of you may know Ryan because he was a familiar face in the early days of the podcast, but much more than being a familiar face, he was kind of the the juice behind the podcast from the very first day I had the idea. He's the one who pushed it from not just online webinars, but for consistent content, then going from audio to video. Everything you see here was his concept, his idea, and his execution. In addition to this podcast, Ryan has done a ton of work for me and my companies from creative design, photography, brand strategy, brand development, creating video content, creating presentations, photography, and much, much more. So you name it in that space, you want to create content, he's your guy. Even if your idea is just an idea and you don't have it all worked out, bring it to Ryan. He'll help turn that idea into something you can be proud of. Reach out to Ryan at scarletroad.com. So, run-of-the-mill traumas yeah. that kids go through, mm-hmm. sexual kind of traumas, mm-hmm. and then some sort of bullying. Um, or so, teasing bullying stuff. I had a lot of medical issues growing up. Um, it carried over into my adulthood. I had a nice number of surgeries just coming into this world. It was, and my body held trauma. My be- body held this consciousness that there's something wrong with me, that uh, I'm not good enough, that I'm not acceptable, that um, I'm different. Uh, that I'm not normal, that I'm not okay. And I carried them stellarly. And I acted out um, amazingly from those places. Uh, when I got to Israel and I kind of left the confines of home, um, my parents, who, who are wonderful, wonderful, beautiful people, um, it became really apparent I got to figure my stuff out. Um, so very quickly, I found a trauma therapist who was fantastic in EMDR brain spotting, hypnotherapy. Uh, he kind of blew my world wide open. From there, I went to started going to men's retreats. This was um, at 18 years old? This was at 18 years old. Okay, so and you started early. I started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, thank God. And my world just exploded. And I was so thirsty spiritually, so I was also learning. I was learning well, whether it was the Gemara regular stuff and the, eventually the mystical stuff, the Hasidic stuff, the Kabbalistic So stuff. in general, having a thirst for knowledge, a thirst for meaning... Yeah, Search. unquestionable, actually. Okay, this is the appropriate... Uh... Is it? <laughs> Have I found it? No, is it this here? is the search. No, 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 we're, we're comfortable yeah. in the search. So I think that's what I was always looking for, were people that were um, comfortable being thirsty 
and can I find someone, uh, a brother in arms with that and find community in that. The Syrian community did not provide that for me. High school didn't provide that for me. It provided me avenues to explore myself and see different parts of myself and get on stage and sing and dance and do all of that. Though it, it did not tell me about who or what I, I am. I found that in Israel. I found that in doing the inner work. I found that in the breath work. Uh, eventually, I found that even more with psychedelics, but we could talk about, a little bit, you know, I did that five years after being in it. Right. Um, therapy every week for three years, follow-up groups very, very quickly. I started facilitating psychodrama. I started um, running meditations. I got certified in hypnotherapy. I got certified in breathwork. I got certified in past life regression hypnosis. Um, and... I, I'm 23, I, I wound up going to the jungle, which was incredible. And the entire way I was searching, and still am, searching for my own wholeness. When you say to the jungle, you're referring to medicine work in the... Medicine work in Peru in the Amazon, with the Shipibo right. uh, tribes. The 14-day the one, the seven days, the seven the nights. The full dietas, got it. The, the, full, the full one, and it was... I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for those for those steps, and I also realized what those steps cost me in a lot of ways as well. Um, but uh, at the same time, I wanted to be integrated into my community. I wanted friends. I wanted to. I wanted to get married to someone who understood me on on those levels. Um, and it took time. It took a lot of dating. It took a lot of um, falling. It took a lot of escaping. And coming back and coming back and coming back. Um, How old are you today? 33. 33. Yeah. Cool. So you've had quite a journey. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, it's not special, but it is unique. And I think for me, what I've learned is that if this is the way that God shines in this world in this way, so be it. It's like if, if that's who I need to be now, is that's the way God's oneness is revealing itself. Can I breathe into a space of peace with that? Does that take time? Does that take energy? Does that take discipline? Does that take everything? Yes. So let's let's talk to that a little bit because just before the cameras went on, um, you were taking me through a little bit of a breath work, and I said mm -hmm. maybe maybe wait for the cameras to go on <laughs> for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, for others to benefit from it. But what triggered the thought was that I um, I released a recording with Christian De La Huerta, thirty mm -hmm. year plus um, breathwork practitioner, someone with tremendous amount of experience and my intention of that was actually to show breathwork to people and what it is because we talk a lot about mm -hmm. it and breathwork therapy can be very confusing because when you hear oh it's just breathing i'm breathing anyway so mm -hmm. what is what is what is this but in explaining it i clearly didn't explain it because i got a message this morning i uh from from uh, someone who follows uh the podcast that they watched it but they're still no wiser about breathwork Right, because sometimes talking about something doesn't uh, give enough of a feel. So, well, I thought maybe to exactly what we're doing before before the cameras went on to do that, guide me as if uh, we're not doing this, not through a full hour session, mm -hmm. but maybe several minutes, give a flavor for it. That demonstration can at least show um, someone what they're uh, so, what they're in for. So, I don't know if I've ever heard it coined like this, but with breath work, in a sense, you're manipulating your consciousness. You're manipulating your consciousness in a way to allowing it to expand and allowing it to let go and surrender into something else. So normally, 
my mind is really focused, focused on something or several things. With breath work, I'm not really focusing on anything. All I am is consciously breathing, I'm bringing my intention and my awareness to my breath. And that is the probably sole focus. I might put something into the GPS. I want to be more loving to myself. I want to be more free. I want to uh, rid myself a little bit more of this performance anxiety. Right. And By put something in the GPS, you mean set an intention for yes. what you're doing it, but afterwards let it go. Set an intention and then let it go. Kind of, and it's the same, the same with any type of inner journey. Put in a GPS, or it, it could simply be I want to breathe into this moment. And then all you do is breathe. And you're breathing in about 30 or 40% deeper than you normally allow yourself to breathe. You're bringing in the breath to places where you don't normally allow yourself the breath to go. So I'm probably going to expand a lot more into my, into my belly and my stomach. I'm probably going to feel my chest, like let myself, let myself breathe. Feel that full inhale. I'm going, there's so much of the physical experience we don't allow ourselves the space or the time to experience with breath work, I get to do that. The, and so just taking that deep inhale, even deeper than you normally allow yourself to breathe and let it go. And taking that breath all the way in and letting it go. So some people really, when they want an experience, they, they try. So you might hear a lot of, And there's a lot of what I've learned is constriction in the lips and trying to, to take the breath in or trying to let the breath go. With this process, I found, and it's not my chiddish, but doing it with that relaxed open mouth, with that relaxed jaw, I'm allowing the, the most natural amount of breath to come in, and then I'm allowing that to go. And I'll find um, for people that like holding on, they're not going to be able to really come off of that wave so quickly. They want to, they take that breath in and they're like, they want to hold on to it. No, let it go. The second you've, you've breathed that breath and it's no longer serving, let it go. And then as you're letting it go and the second I let it go and I have an opportunity to step back into my life again. And that's the constant ebb and flow of, of everywhere. So I know I'm speaking a little bit esoteric, but um, you know, that's just what happens when you're breathing. You allow yourself to flow. So, I don't, so if somebody's not understanding that breathe, if somebody's not understanding that put on a track, stop trying to understand it because you're not going to understand it. You don't need to. And first and foremost, it's a physical process. People are like, oh, I, I, I started breathing. I got so high. Well, if you just breathe into your chest, you're going to go out. You're going to go out. You might get something, but it's not a full integrative experience. The breathwork that I'm working with is really... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news 
Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Going from the neck down, but that full respiratory breath, getting into that belly, getting fully into that belly and filling up with that volume and then letting it go and into that circle. So you're really choosing with your own volition to breathe into something. So in a sense, I'm guiding my consciousness. What was the distinction you were making there between the breathing in the chest and breathing in the belly? So it's, this is not my prime subscription, but if, just so we can understand each other, if you take the chakra system, where there are the lower chakras or the upper chakras. There's the lower, there's the lower spheres and there's the upper spheres. In Kabbalah, Tiferet has different parts to it. There's ones that are really associated with the lower body and the bodily functions and our physicality. And then there are different energy centers that are just more in terms of our own emotionality. So there's the physical, there's the breath is held in the body. The point of breath work is not to get high. The point of breath work is to get into the body and that the body itself will give you its, its wisdom. Right. And then the emotions come. They're like, oh, but I feel faint. Yes. Oh, but my, my hands will get a little bit tingly. Like you've done it a couple of times. Oh, yeah, you felt tetany, the tingle yeah. and the tetany. And face. And people are like, oh my God, what is happening? It's, it's normal. It will, it will return. And every time I say it, they're like, no, but is this normal? Yes, it is normal. I've, I've seen a lot. <laughs> I've seen the people go, you know, bug out. I've seen people scream. I've seen people cry and, you know, the whole spectrum. Um, I've gotten bit. And it's, 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 it's gnarly. Um, <laughs> There's sometimes there, there's purging and it's all wonderful and it's all beautiful because it's, it's, it's breathing into that moment. It's letting yourself arrive. Okay. So just to <laughs> spend a little bit of time on it and then um, I'm not looking to go much deeper in, a, in this setting. It just cool. a little bit tough, but just to make sure I'm, I'm capturing it. So what you're referring to is, like you said at the beginning, a circular breath where there's no hold on the Mm -hmm. inhale no hold on the exhale i'm starting to eliminate that pause normally when i'm driving or when i'm resting i'm breathing into this triangle inhale exhale pause inhale exhale pause with this i'm talking about breathing into a circle you might ask me well why not it's why isn't it just a straight vertical line inhale exhale inhale exhale because there is movement we're spiraling our own spiral so we're, we're cycling our own cycle so I'm breathing in and I'm letting it go. I'm breathing in and letting it go. And I could quite literally use my finger to guide it. And sometimes men will breathe a certain direction and women will breathe in a different direction. There's a masculine direction to a breath where if, if I ask a group of probably, and I've done this, about, and there was a group with Yom Tov Glazer, 70 people. It was a couple's weekend. So half the room, the women, half the room were the men. And everybody stick out their finger and start breathing. You had most of the men were breathing in this direction. They were just moving forward, up the back and, and, and down the front. Where I'm... Right. And it's just a forward thing. And, you know, you're Chabad, so you got, you got that hustle going. The women, completely opposite direction. Going up the front and down the back. And what you'll find is some is I can play with both. I could play with the forward. I could play with the letting go. There isn't, there isn't a right. 
And in the same breathwork session, you'll, you'll play with both. So uh, I think if somebody wants to try to cut your head off a little bit, let the conscious mind take a step back. You, you're not going to need it. It will be there, I promise. And stick out your finger and start breathing into a circle. If Wim Hof has been instrumental for people getting in relationship with it, and it's very guided. Relationship with their breath. Yes. Yes. Just, you know, let's, let's have an appetizer. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful appetizer. And like, I get to feel it on the physical, those physical benefits. And right, I've used his guided, guided ones online a lot. It will not, it will most likely not get you emotional. Um, the pauses are designed to regulate, to regulate the emotionality. In a full breathwork session where you're going for an hour, you're going to that full sense of, re of regulation probably every, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. You're saying his holds after the 30 breaths are yes. meant to regulate. Yeah, it's not where it's going to come. You're not going to do Wim Hof into anger. Right. You're not going to do Wim Hof into grief. It's, it's, it's a very uh, disciplined practice. So. But I uh, read uh, Arya Kaplan, I think when his, mm -hmm. it was in his book, Jewish Meditation, mm -hmm. explained breathwork as follows. Maybe similar to what you were saying, maybe a little different, you'll tell me. He said that normally breathing is subconscious. Mm-hmm. But during breath work, we make the subconscious conscious. Mm -hmm. And that sends a message to the rest of our subconscious to make itself conscious. So one of the first breathwork facilitators that I worked with in Shofar those days, the way he framed it is that there are two bodily functions that are both unconscious and conscious. It's the breath, where we have unconscious breaths and conscious breaths, and also our eyes, where we get to choose what we see, and sometimes we don't get to choose what we see. Okay, I mean, you can say that about hearing and smelling and everything. Sometimes I, I feel like I don't choose what I eat either. <laughs> um, I'm, but I'm thinking there's a certain volition in that. And I guess you're right, it's in the other senses too. I've, I've really focused in on the breath and the sight, but yeah, essentially, yeah. Right, it just kind of... Uh... Oh, I, I guess what he's saying is that you can turn off the eyes. You can't really turn off the other senses. Yeah, you're not going to turn off your ears. <laughs> right. I mean, I would love to sometimes, right. but it doesn't. Okay, that's what he's saying. That the ears are kind of always. I could close listening. my eyes. I'm not going to right. close my ears. Takes work. Right. The nose, it's always taken in. What's mm -hmm. there? The eyes you can close. Okay, that's what he meant by it. I got mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Right. And then breathing the same way. You got me there for a second. I was yeah, like, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> and then breathing the same way. Right. Okay, so normally it's a subconscious process, and here we have an opportunity to make it conscious. Yeah, and I think there's, there's an element of choice, and it's always been an element of choice. In the retreats that I've been in, there's always been that element of choice that's, that's there. I'm choosing to breathe. Right. A lot of what I've been, um, what I've, what I've been finding with it and why I'm such a big proponent of it compared to, say, therapy, which I think therapy is great and has its place and everything else, but... There's something about finding our own answers mm -hmm. that just hits in a different way. The things we have permission to tell ourselves, mm -hmm. another person could never say that. No sure. one could have ever told me that I should view being sexually abused as a child as a gift, as being chosen by, by God in this way. Yeah. It would have been so insensitive for someone else to tell me. But when that awareness came from within me, then I was able to, to accept it. It winds up being very hard way. to argue with. It winds up being very hard to argue with. And I remember the intensives that I would have for myself, and there are times I would go very deep, very dark, and very light at the same time. And I would just journal and journal and journal. And those, those were medicine journeys for me, where the, the insights and the light that I was finding was finally literally breathing into those 
tight spaces that needed it. And whether it was the sexual abuse, whether it was the, 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 just the sheer trauma that my body endured living this human life, it's, 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 it's beautiful for me. And I love that it's something that has been with me my entire journey. It's not going, to, it's not going away. Our breath is not going anywhere. My, mom, my daughter is born and I'm, I'm looking at her. I'm like, I know that breath pattern. I see that <laughs> breath pattern. And I, I tell my mom, like, oh, you know, I can facilitate her. She's like, what are you doing? And my hand is like, just being in relationship to the breath is, is, is to be in relationship to the divine and how it manifests with me. It, it was, just is. <laughs> is your first child? This is my first child. I'm how Google Gaga. <laughs> no, and it was a journey. Like 17, uh, they found... They found some medical issues. I knew I was going into IVF. That completely changed the dating game for me. Uh, so getting married with it and then actively engaging and choosing in that process. And I also have the medicine work, consciousness right. that's working with me. It was, it was beautiful. And she asked me last night, like, what would I talk to you about? I was like, how do, you, how do, I, how do I stop judging myself after I finally have what I want? I, I, I still could, but I have what I want. So what use are all those judgments? So, okay, let me <laughs> yeah, that breaks down. So at seventeen, going mm -hmm. through a medical experience, you already knew that you were going to have trouble having kids. Um, that I was going to need IVF, yeah. Which is trouble. I mean, it's going yeah. to work. It's it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's shots. It's surgery. It's My body. It's expensive. Um, that it's not going to be the normal. It's just it was just another stamp that there is something wrong with and me. And then having I'm to date okay. with that to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, the first time I told someone was um, a week after I came back from Peru. And I was dating someone. She was an orphan. And I was like, oh, I have this information. Um, they're like, well, you're going to have to tell after a certain amount of time. And I worked with my rebeam and, and all that and had to package it. And my, my, I got broken and, and, and rejected a nice couple of times. Um, because of it? Yeah. Yeah. So can we speak to that? Because there are many examples of this, exactly what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Not the details, but the feeling of it, where there's something that an individual has gone through or will go through or is going through or part of them that they feel they are, no one's going to accept. Mm -hmm. So there is something in me that is beyond my control, that is above me, and that somebody else has the capacity to reject that or choose not to have me in their lives in that way and go try and teach a 23 or 24 year old that's not about you and and don't take it personally and i took it very personally sure and um and because i'm also i, I like to think i'm a kind person i made it about me and not about any anybody else so i really turned inwards um and that made and it took time it took a wonderful amount of time and grieving and learning and expanding and just getting out of my own head. And then kind of taking that risk each time you yeah. meet someone, knowing that at some point, you're not going to say it on the first day, you're not going to lead with no, that. No, I, I didn't lead with that, but it was, uh, it's definitely not, not the opener, but it's something, it, and going into any first date, you're, that's part of your read now. It's like, so are they going to, to be able to hop this? Are they going to be able to handle this? Are they going to be able to see me and, and this and not um, confuse the two? Um, and really at the entire time, I'm the one that's confusing it. I'm placing my judgments on myself on other people and projecting that. And 100%. it took me, 
a long time, a lot of, it kept on showing itself to me until I see it. And I have to see that every day. I make that distinction every day. Yeah. I'm thinking of how many guys I've spoken to, um, around, you know, I've been in, uh, circles around addiction recovery and specifically Mm -hmm. sexual addiction recovery and how many guys I know who are so afraid that they would be rejected mm-hmm. going into that. And it's true in some ways. Some would. Some may. Mm-hmm. For a variety of different reasons. It's, some some may. But it's certainly not a guarantee. And it says more about... it's. So I think what I found for people, what I found for myself, is when I stop putting it on the other person to heal me, that gives me the most greatest opportunity for success. When I don't stop putting the responsibility on the other person, that only when they say yes... Will I be okay? Or only when they're okay with my big bad, will I be okay? Um, there, there's a certain level of codependency that I was carrying, um, and I think other people carry, where like, oh, I need to say this, I need to say this, because then they'll be okay with it, then okay. Yes, there is a healthy place to share integral parts of your story, but sharing it from a place of responsibility, of authenticity, of vulnerability, of masculinity, frankly, rather than that victim consciousness where, you know, there's something wrong with me and I really want someone to take care of me. So was um, there a way you shared it um, on some of the earlier dates that didn't work out, that then you changed in the way you... There was a maturing. There was a maturing. 30 was fabulous for me. COVID was even better. <laughs> so um, there so was... So you recently a, married? So I'm married um, 16, 17 months. Oh, okay, yeah. really recently. Yeah, oh, wow. so March 22 in Miami, actually. Beautiful. Um, so it's new. She she just turned thirty a year ago. So it's it's we both came in having a lot of life experience, enough life experience. So doing this is, now is is sweeter. I'm very grateful I didn't get married in my twenties. Right. It's just. Chill. I think so too. When I see, I got married at thirty three. Uh, thirty three, maybe thirty three. We just celebrated our six year anniversary. Well, so, um, thirty two, thirty three, and. Just looking at my kids now, I'm kind of glad that I didn't, they didn't have to experience me in my 20s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. I hope, I'm happy I didn't have to experience myself that doing that in my 20s. I may feel um, that way in my 40s too. I plan on it. So, so bring me through that a little bit with your wife. Um, how, how was it received when, when you eventually? So the, the fertility stuff? It was that was a concern, right? Meaning it was it was one of the most it was one of the there were obviously other conversations. I I live a very very full life. Um, That's not a secret. But um, I think in the first five minutes of knowing her, we covered vaccines. (laughs) So once that was done, um, uh, I don't know about a couple of weeks, and I was just like, look, there's there's something I got to tell you, and this is a part, and I I did it with a lot of emotional detachment. It was like we. Uh, I'm good with you enough to be in relationship with you and share information with you and be okay however this going, is going to go because I am so grateful that, I'm, that I live a life where I know you. So it doesn't matter. Um, and that is the cup that I come in with, that I came in with. And turns out her sister uh, had very similar experiences, went through the cycle, and so she knew the intricacies of it. There was my surgery and my doubt and them finding inside of me, which was, you know, you're talking about a end of a 15 year old saga of me thinking that there's something wrong with me and I'm finding whatever they're finding, thank God, and ample amounts and then, you know, shipping it off. 
so there was a lot of tension there was a lot of t internal tension of like well what's going to happen are they going to are they not going to and she looked at me and she's like look god <laughs> it's like yeah she's like yeah i'm like okay what did what did, what did she mean what did you get when she said god yeah we have to talk about it. <laughs> um that there's an, a mutual appreciation that there's a oneness that presides and provides and governs and i live that and she lived that and it was just very apparent like okay if this is where we're going to hang that that our hats on i'm i'm good i'm good right yeah. the person the person i i suppose the person you're going to meet is going to be able to handle you yeah the person you're going to meet for you is going thank to be able god to handle you. <laughs> thank god and for years and you know i I grew up, I grew up Sephardi and I, and I was very exposed to the Chabad community, to the Hamish community. And, and I understood how Shidduchim were going. And I saw a lot of people with a lot of issues. So I was very, um, anxious about, well, what is it going to look like for me? You know, cause I don't want to make those mistakes and I know I'm going to make mistakes. So where am I going to find myself? And, and I am, <laughs> and I am whether, and one of the prides and joys of my life is being able to work with people and doing the workshops and uh, doing the breath works and meeting really fabulous people along the way, people that know a lot more than I do, which is why I get into these conversations. I want to bounce off my head off of somebody that, somebody that could A, listen and probably give me a perspective or knows something a little bit more than I do, whether it's a rabbi, a friend, a, a therapist, Go, what are you going to do with this laboratory? Because I'm trying my best. <laughs> Maybe another breathwork modality. <laughs> Probably. Just another certificate. Just to add that on the wall. Um, just, yeah. just to kind of put a bow on that part of the conversation, because I think there are a lot of people who, who struggle with this, the fears of being rejected through the course of, of uh, dating and what that says about them. Was there a difference in the way you approached your wife who eventually received it than someone else earlier in the process that had you not done it in that way maybe it would have been so before i met her, meaning was there a self-acceptance part of the process for you that you feel was important for the other person to to accept as well so before i met my wife there was already a lot that i've learned it was a lot of lessons a lot of um being in other relationships and trying to make it work where and trying too hard to make it work where i held on too tight and i wound up hurting myself and hurting other people so by the time I've, I was willing to let go of those things and sit with myself um, and accept that you're scared of, I'm scared of being rejected. It's not going away and it's ever present. So just sit with my own, with myself for a bit and nurse my heart and feel what it feels like to be free for a second of those things that you were holding on to because you so convinced yourself you needed because you don't accept that you deserve more, not putting that down, but you, I deserve more. And the second I did that, it was there. So it found me and I liked it and I found it. And I'd like to think it happened when I was done learning the lessons that life was teaching me. Um, so I know it's a little bit abstract, but you, I, I got done getting rejected when I, was done being rejected. <laughs> right. Um, right. I, I wonder if, I wonder if someone listening to me. When I'm in that experience, I don't want to hear this. 
<laughs> when I'm in that experience, I don't, don't, don't talk to me. I, I could talk to you from out of it. When I'm in that rejection, it sucks. Right. Don't talk to me why it doesn't work. I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking if someone listening to this will, depending on where they are in the process, whether they'll be able to receive it, but just for uh, a particular example and the way I'll process something like that. So a few weeks ago, um, I was involved in a business situation. I do that too sometimes, not only podcasts. And uh, there was someone I kind of needed to talk to. Mm-hmm. And there was something that um, the business I was working on needed something from him. Mm-hmm. And I was fairly certain, and others were telling me as well, that he is someone who could, could be helpful in the process without going into all the details. And um, I hadn't encountered someone this rude and obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, towards me in a long time and when i had probably in other situations i kind of um maybe hung up the phone or ran away or avoided it but in this for for certain reasons i kind of had to stay in the conversation mm-hmm. and not only had to stay in the conversation but i had to call back the next day and every single time i called i just got um yelled at berated and it was a horrible feeling <laughs> horrible feeling and at some point you know i did the same thing that uh um I advise everyone else. I just sat there after one phone call and I'm like, wow, this feels like such shit. <laughs> it feels horrible to be so doing that way and not to say anything at the end of the call was, okay, I hear what you're saying. Thank you. Let me get back to you and see if I have uh, better news. And when I closed my eyes and took about five or six deep breaths, I just said, that's God too. Mm-hmm. That's God too. And if God is channeling himself through this person yelling at me in this way, there's obviously something that I'm so resistant to that I need to I need it to be communicated in in this way. There's obviously some messages that I've ignored along the way. And without going into all of the details of it, what I recognized in short from that process kind of those five or six breaths opened me up to, hey, this is God too. And then later on when I had more time, I was able to dive much deeper into it with journaling and breathing and everything else. And eventually I realized some early sensitivity to um or sensitivity that developed at a young age to being spoken to in a way of you are wrong mm-hmm. meaning criticism coming in a very um like morally righteous righteous indignation you are wrong mm-hmm. and just being sensitive to that criticism and mm-hmm. realizing that that sensitivity sometimes clouds me from the right position ironically mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fear of being berated Mm-hmm. for doing something wrong, like mm-hmm. wrong in that way. You mm-hmm. are wrong, mm-hmm. right? Can cloud me from doing the right thing. Yes. And um, through that weekend, I felt like I processed it. And today when I think of this same person who brought such aversion to me when I, when I spoke to them on the phone and the last conversation with them was the same as, as all the other ones, my feeling is one of gratitude that they woke something up inside me that I was unable to see. You really feel the gratitude? I do, I do, yeah. Like, I have, you know, cards on the table. You feel gratitude yeah, for it? Yeah, I feel it? gratitude for it. Okay. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it, um, it, it woke me up to a blind spot. Yeah, no, I, so do you feel gratitude to him or gratitude for the awakening? Um, both. Cool. Both. You know, but I wonder... Here's, here's, I guess, the litmus test, and this is what you were saying. If the next time I speak to him, mm-hmm. will he speak to me that way? I don't have a reason right now to speak to him, so I don't know if I will. Mm-hmm. But it would be very interesting and kind of put your theory to the test of I was done being rejected as soon as I was done being rejected, right? Whatever, yeah. right? 
So that I, dealing with that lesson, I wonder if now, considering that I feel like I processed it, will I experience the same feeling the next time I talk to him? Why were you surprised when I said that I feel gratitude? Because I have a hard time feeling gratitude for that. That's me. Hmm. Um, um, I, I could, I feel gratitude in a bunch of other ways, but not in a person interpersonal gratitude. I feel gratitude from out here, but not gratitude interpersonally. Uh, I can't, I'm, I don't know if you would actually tell him thank you, or maybe you would. Right. It would just be bizarre to say thank you. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that a thank you would suggest that, hey, I think you should treat other people in this way. No, I don't. But what his name um, for now is associated with something positive with me, this lesson, this waking up. Yes. Good. So it's, so it's interesting. Imagine uh, a drill sergeant who yelled at you and got you push-ups. What is your association at the end of that process? I, I, I hear you. I grew up with my father. <laughs> so it's all good. Um, so there is that gratitude because I see him more than that. I see. And then I was thinking actually yesterday, a second, my second grade teacher, um, reaming me, like just railing. I, I lied about something and whatever it was. And I, I was just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I'm like, like in front of everybody, like one of those. Um, you know, and this was Mag and David, so it was like a tall Israeli woman with a you know a shrieky voice. And I was like, oh, okay. I was still a star pupil. I still did very, very well. But like, I have this thing where you're going to go do your own thing and get berated for it. Um, for me, when I, I I had a one of those conversations about a year ago, uh, it was a very tumultuous one, and they saw me you know a little bit uneasy. And the guy said like, come Who's on, they, they. No, meaning the, the in person, what setting? The person that I was, it was, it was a Zoom meeting and it was just an argument. Like a business meeting? Yes. Okay, got it. Okay. And I was, and they were talking and they were, I was getting reamed. I was like, okay, so this is, this is how, this is how things end. <laughs> um, and I was very awake to it and watching it. And I found myself getting easy and wanting to punch back. And then at a certain point I didn't because it doesn't, it didn't serve me, but I didn't appreciate the words that were being said, and I wrote them down, and I said, okay, this is what I feel here, and this is what I feel there. Rabbi Nachman in Torah Vav writes that one of the Ikarim of Tshuva, one of the most um, essential parts of repentance or returning, is when you're able to be um, when somebody is mevaze you, it disgraces you, it disgraces you into your face, and and you don't answer. And you can just actually receive it. That is an ikar of tshuva, according to Rabbi Nachman. And for me, that that, that was a lifesaver. I actually, like, gave a whole speech right, on recovery, it. The recovery, the restraint of pen and tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so then I I realize it's it's it doesn't serve me engaging in this is not going to serve a relationship. To get into this dialogue of who's right is not going to serve me or the relationship. So if the relationship is done, the next step is like, how do I just self-preserve? happens to be the only way I was able to, to stay quiet during those times, and it's not the first and it's not the last, was um, I was microdosing. Yeah. No, I was microdosing. And psilocybin has, it has extremely calming effects with me in certain dosages and in certain times, and I was working with it. And I was like, okay, fine, I could receive this. But it's not pleasant. Am I grateful for the experience? I'm going to assume this is someone you know well and continue yeah. to interact with. Okay, so I think that's a difference. Right? So in my case, if this was a family member, if this was mm -hmm. a parent, if this was a business associate, if this was a spouse treating me in this way, then it would have been much more difficult. This was someone I encountered 
several times over a week period. I may never encounter them again in my life. I wasn't oh. I wasn't attaching to all sorts of stories from the past. It was someone who I was talking to about a business, um, uh, some business I was working on, and I had to interact with him for several times in the course of that week. And in mm-hmm. each one, it turned into a very difficult and uncomfortable situation. I think without, if this person was named father or boss mm-hmm. or wife or sibling, it would have created a much different set of emotions. It was much yeah. easier for me to strip this person apart from all of those things mm-hmm. and just saying, okay, I don't know this guy. I don't have any opinion on him from mm-hmm. before I met with him. I don't have any attachments to him. Mm-hmm. I simply have these experiences. And where did that come from? Mm. So I remember there was two and a half years ago, I was working with a, a facilitator in Family Constellations. I didn't know, know this guy from Adam. And I came onto his training and then I left his training. But during that training, I, I was very, very hypercritical. And there's what to be said, and there, there's conversations to be had, but I left very, very triggered with this guy specifically. Over time, I could say after two and a half years, like, you know, namaste, I'm, you know, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I don't need to, I don't need to interact. Like, I'm very, very clear. I don't, I don't know if I'm holding resentments to it. So, which is why I asked before, grateful for the experience or grateful to the person proper um, or grateful for the awakening. So, it's kind of all of it. Like, right now, yeah. when, when his name was mentioned to me two weeks ago, it's like gave a negative feeling inside mm-hmm. me. Today, when I just think it in my in my mind, I have a positive association with it, which is hey, thank you, thank you for for tuning me into that. I would not have noticed it before because as soon as I kind of sharpened the lens, I saw that there was something to to see inside, and I'm like, wow, I knew it was there. Mm-hmm. I kn- I knew it was there it was something that I had seen before, but I thought it was a a very small minor issue. And meaning when I say a minor issue was that it wasn't affecting that much of my day-to-day behaviors mm. or day-to-day choices. But then I realized that it was in mm-hmm. many ways. In order, My desire to avoid these, ki- these interactions mm-hmm. was so strong mm-hmm. that I was avoiding these kind of interactions. Yeah. I find my brother called me out on it um, about a year, a year ago. It's like, you just like to keep the peace. You're not <laughs> fine with discomfort. I'm looking at him like, He's got a point. <laughs> He's got a point. I gotta give it to you. Like you j- and I, I do that. I do that to a fault. I would, and whether it would come in the forms of self-negation, whether it would be the common being that superhero complex um, that I could get into, I'm wanting to fix because it would be lovely if the river just flowed a certain way. Um, over the years, I've kind of learned that it's, it's not my role to save everybody. I can't. Uh, I don't need to, and I don't want to. Um, the least I can do is be in a loving place and be a compassionate listener when somebody wants to share. And it's not for me to insert myself into another person's process. It's really not for me to, to do that. So especially with family, especially with clients, especially with um, distant friends who figure it out. I, I'm, right. not, I'm not, you do your, your own thing. I, I work in an office full time uh, in Jersey. So I, I do the business thing as well. And that right, so you do a combination of business plus yeah, yeah, doing that since uh, I did it from fourteen, um, from two thousand fourteen. I took a little bit of a break after five years, and then I came back uh, last right. year. So that's also it's extremely grounding for me. It's the like business side world. of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. It's very easy to get lost in. Um, I, I've one. tried running from it a lot. The uh, yeah, the business. Yeah, for sure. You know, I came into recovery, and I said. 
uh, I saw a lot of things in the business world that I was like, wow, this is disgusting. There's no meaning in this yeah, yeah. purpose. And I was all, you know, in the pink cloud of recovery. Mm -hmm. Hey, everyone should be like this. And I wanted to do everything I could just to get out of the business world. I was trying to sell my business, but I still felt like I had to take care of the responsibilities there, right? There were mm -hmm. uh, vendors and employees and a business, so I had to do it the right way. And every single time I tried, it dragged me right back in. I think um, it further into it and now it, I, I definitely see the value there the world is not lived in a um, in a teepee hut uh -huh. in the jungle it's it's easy to be easy it's easy to be good there it's easy to be good there <laughs> right. um, I mean it's definitely not easy um, but it's it's different They're the same responsibilities I, I don't I haven't met someone I learned and I searched I'm sure there is out there someone who lives lives it in a way where I could like, okay, this is my master. And I could see him with the wife, the kids that and fully functional and integrated and from a business and balance as, okay, this is a guy I could follow with in, in the from world. I, 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 I've found many people that have parts, wonderful, wonderful parts of the whole. So to learn how to draw on from those parts has been an incredible gift. Um, but I think the person that lives it as integrated as possible is going to be to the person themselves to walk in alignment with, with the medicine. Meaning when you say the person themselves to find it within. Yeah. To find, to be, be the, it, be the person that you want, that you want to be that person that you're looking for is you like right. whether you want to admit it or not, it's going that that's what Bufo showed me that that specific experience is like you're going to keep on searching for it you're not going to find it it's, this is it it's so, on you so bufo is a medicine you've recently worked with so 5mao dmt that's I, the the toad right the yeah. 15 minute experience yeah so it was a long time coming um it's the first time you've interacted with it yes got it so i knew coming into my daughter's birth like i wanted something i want something for myself uh, to really let go of what I wanted to let go of and really step into something else. Uh, I knew it wasn't ayahuasca. I've been ayahuasca out. That said, I sat, I sat in my own home and, and I sat, um, I sat in another ceremony just to ayahuasca settle. Out. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, my, my trips for the longest time, my, my ceremonies have been wonderfully, wonderfully, beautifully sober where I don't, I don't go there. Um, because I, I, it just doesn't take me there. I'm very settled in my body, um, but I needed something that's really going to take the pull the plug out and plug it back in. Um, and it was a wonderful place. It was a wonderful space. It was facilitated by a psychiatrist, and he um, came very highly recommended by people that I trust. And it knocked me on my butt. It took me offline, which for a person like me is bliss to experience that quiet, that quiet from whether you, you want to call it the addict's mind, the monkey mind, the part of you that is so committed to rating, grading myself. And I grade myself by my latest mistakes. And that, that first pull, it was a very, very sobering recognition of how much I am committed to my own self-hatred. When you say first pull, the first, the, the first hit of... The first hit. Right. And look it up on YouTube if, if for, for the like wonderful journey of it. But I experienced it and it was wonderful. The, the union mystica, the, the one with everything, the pre-shamanic. 
it. The, and what was it that you got? What was the you were you were saying something before you went into it and about what coming, you got from it? So I was I so coming into it or, or coming out of it? You see, the way you referenced it was this is something that I got from from Bufo. I don't actually recall what you were talking about. The um, it being up to me to be it. Oh, I got you right. That That's there's. Right. That there is an aspect of creator that is alive and well in me, and creator is all around, and I am of it, and it is of me, and you're a chelak elokam mamish, whatever way you want to frame it, live dear b'tachtoinim now, and it's a taste of that, and it was a taste of that, and what I saw, what keeps me from that is a certain commitment to my own self-hatred, which I knew I have, but it was never that loud. It's like when the banging of the steel door that you've been banging your head on for so long just gets so loud where you're actually going to hear it and stop. And I realized that I can stop that. And it's not, I wasn't the one banging, but I was the one watching myself bang. Um, what I found during years of psychedelics is that it also became a persona. Uh, the one doing that, the psychedelic is, oh. is, is also part of the persona. Uh, so I needed something to transcend that. Um, so Bufo has been was incredible in transcending that. Do you and feel like you would have accepted this? Um, no, you wouldn't have accepted nah. this invitation. I would have spun. Uh, maybe yes, but I would have spun that harder. I would have spun that harder. Whenever there's a new experience for me, I, I like I like to go on my own little roller coaster, um, and then I quiet and then I do it anyway. And I, I mean, I'm the oldest of four boys, so I was always the guinea pig, and mm. I. Yeah, and I appreciate it. I appreciate new experiences. But with a certain fervor of saying yes, which was easy, no. Right, it's actually neat how it happened because we've, I don't know if you remember how we were put in touch, but it's been several months since we've... So I got in spoken. touch with you because I found it phenomenal what you were doing. The, 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 the podcast, specifically the, the Rabbi YY Talks, I know Rabbi YY for years, breathed with him, loved the guy. But when you started opening up the conversations you were opening up, I looked, okay, this, this watch. This watch, because this nobody's doing. The same, and I know what people are doing. This nobody's doing. Watch this. And it was incredible for my marriage. It was incredible to talk. It was to talk, to have, you know, to, to have taboos be a topic of conversation. So for that, I was incredibly grateful. And I wanted to share some bits of my story because, like I said, I want to hear from someone that knows a little bit more than me. All right, you had reached out to me after one of the... And we had our little... Tackling taboos. Yeah. Right, so we... Spoke, I heard yeah. your story. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, and I was intimidated. I was saying, okay, it's like, I know. what is this? And I'm, I'm appreciative of stepping in. Right. So I'll, I'll fill you in on some of the background. Maybe I explained mm -hmm. a little bit. So I'm in, I'm in New York for the summer. Mm -hmm. And we decided to schedule a day in mm -hmm. New York where I'm scheduling a few interviews, right? For people mm -hmm. who may not come down to Florida where mm -hmm. we usually um, do the podcast. And we had the lineup, and about, I don't know, maybe 6, 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. last night, I get a message from Yassi, who handles mm -hmm. all the booking. He says, hey, one, one of the guests, the 11 a.m. guest, canceled. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, hey, who am I going to? This, mm -hmm. this is not the way to inv invite someone say, hey, I had a cancellation. If you want to come? You. Right, yeah. you're the second, uh, like, you know, hey, all my, all, all my other friends backed out on me. Do you want to come? Yeah. You want to grab dinner? But then um, I got a message from you, and we hadn't interacted for a few months. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, you know, I just got the cancellation. I'm getting a message from you. I'm not, comfort I'm not feeling comfortable reaching out to um, anyone else. Maybe just one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, want to... So I actually reached out to you because yesterday I was, I was breathing someone who was 
uh, a convicted uh, child molester. And it's very few and far between. It has happened. But this guy wanted to come and he needed to like submit um, paperwork to his PO in order to come down to Brooklyn. And we came down to, to Brooklyn. We did it. And I was oh, so just, he was letting you know he's a convicted yeah, we, sex we, offender. He did, he did all of it. He, you know, he was, for what it's worth, he was very uh, honest uh, and open. And as I'm working with him, like, I'm not feeling something squeezing me, but there's just a part of me that needed to share or fart <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, oh, who, can I, who can I share this with? I'm like, okay, not that guy, not that guy. I'm like, <laughs> screw it, Ellie. Like, and, and I did it in such an interesting way. I'm like, I wanted, like, A, I wanted to share with you that I became a father. And like, as someone who lives life, I think you could appreciate as, as a man, like, whoa, what that is, because that's a game changer. Um, and I wanted to share the Bufo experience. I had asked you yeah. about peyote. Um, I tried Bufo, and especially for that for the, that addictive compulsive mind, wonderful. And yeah, I was I wanted to like just share what was sitting in front of me. Right, you just uh, it's a very unique experience to be able to yeah. get <laughs> serve breath work for someone who's a convicted sex offender like that, specifically child. Um, yeah. So, so that was, um, so I guess seeing the recent podcast I had done with Mendy Pellin and those discussions. Yeah. That discussion was the discussion with Mendy. I, I, I don't want to say I enjoyed it, but I listened very willingly and I would listen to it again. And I think it's important. And I don't think it was a platform. I think it was just honest conversation to the discussion with Mendy and the Mendy and, and Gershon, the guy who, uh, and Gershon, I think the follow-up was fabulous. I don't necessarily need to listen to people's opinions that much because it's not my thing. Um, it's just more hawk, not my thing. But then I listened to your conversation with Mendy, and that was also wonderful. Um, I don't know if I finished it or not, but it was wonderful, um, wonderful chunks. And yeah, it was just apropos. Right, cool. Well, neat how serendipitous. Uh, I think that was what no, you said. Neat, yeah, neat, yeah. <laughs> neat how things uh, how things work out. It's neat how things work out. Um, you were saying something about finding yourself as a, a man, like basically becoming your own role model. Mm -hmm. And it made me think that, first of all, a lot of what I see with guys in their 20s going to their 30s struggling is, is this sense of wanting to become a man, knowing that they need to. Mm -hmm. I call it a adulting, for lack of <laughs> a better term. You know, this... There's definitely a very, it's probably now more than any other time in, in recent history, a kind of Peter Pan syndrome mm -hmm. or an ability to be a 30-year-old teenager, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, but still inside there's a voice that says, hey, I need a different way. And then the lack of uh, what a lot of people feel is a role model, even if they see an aspect of someone that they can follow. Maybe it's not all aspects mm -hmm. of someone that they can um that, that they can follow. And I think as men, I mean, as children, we learn that way, right? We learn from literally mimicking and modeling someone's behavior, copying it to the T. This is the way they talk. This is the way they walk. This is the way, you know, the sports they play, and I'm going to do the same thing. And then as, an, as adults, we start doing that, a little bit of it. And I wonder if maybe it's a time in history, I guess in the Chabad community, there's certainly that missing, right? There's no, there's no Rebbe, mm -hmm. which in a sense is a, my understanding for many was a role model of sorts. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I knew a lot of people who wanted to wear the hat in the way he wore the hat and his shoes in the way they wore his right? Just walk in the way he walked, even to the point of pinching their hat in the way, which is 
a an expression of you know looking up to and wanting to model a a role model, but it's difficult to model a role model who's a very different age or at a very different time mm-hmm. in history. Because what would they do today in mm-hmm. right twenty twenty three? All I'm seeing is stuff from you know eighties, seventies. Um. Yeah. So that process of I I feel like a lot of my mistakes in my twenties came from searching for a male role model and not being able mm-hmm. to to find one, and then eventually saying I gotta I gotta create my own role model. Mm-hmm. So Peter Pan is could be rather seductive. He could fly. Uh, his best <laughs> friend is his shadow, which is everything does everything that he wants. He gets a crush on Tiger Lily, and he gets to fight pirates. Like that, it's 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 pretty nice. Um, about I want to say three years ago, I was doing a back to love workshop. Um, it was fabulous. It was like I came out of COVID with some awesome material, and this one guy was rather awake. So you were leading the workshop. Yeah, I was leading the workshop. This one guy Ben said it fantastic he's like don't change but grow up <laughs> and i was like oh and this idea of change is is such um there's so much dissonance for me when it comes to that word like i'll oh, change this and i'm always trying to change especially in uh religious circles and from kite and what have you lavush was a biggie um but learning that growing up is a perspective and to i can grow myself back up is has been phenomenal for me and there are elements in the masculinity that's around me, whether it's my father, whether it was older friends, a lot of my, my friends for the last, I don't know, six, seven years were all older than me, all married, all with kids. I, there is the masculine world that is around me that I could aspire to be and look up to. And I, at the same time, it's up to me to choose to be of that. I'm of that anyway. Like I'm there and I have to realize that I'm there every day. Um, so I think that's that's most most definitely a process, and I don't know if any community has it right, and I haven't found found a right. I have different I found different ways. Uh, the Chabad community is is wonderful. I, I worked with here with Shofar for years, and like that was a trip. Um, but there was also a lot of growing up and learning that there is. It's not it. <laughs> it it's it's a part. Chabad is it? a part. Chabad is a part. Oh. Depends who you're talking to. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful part of the whole. Is it fundamental? Absolutely. Nobody's taking anything away from it. The lavush is a part. The chitzonius matters. And it's a part of the panemius. And both work together. Always. As opposed to? What's the distinction you're making? The, as opposed to fragmenting. As opposed to identifying as one of the fragments. And I'm, I'm just an addict and, and all that pink cloud of sobriety that people can stay in for a while. Or You're saying Chabad is just a part of the whole yeah, the same Jewish way. people. Is it not? You sure? Uh, I'm, you know, uh, it's not the whole thing. Yeah. It's, um, I know we're in Crown Heights and I love it dear, but uh, it's, it's a wonderful part. And if I go to Hong Kong, I'm very grateful that it's there. And if I'm going to Guangzhou, I'm very grateful that it's there. And Vietnam, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful part. That was my first exposure to Chabad. It's like I saw how it touched the world, and it shifted everything. And nobody wrote what the Alta Rebbe wrote. Nobody put together what the Rebbe was able to put together. And people who know, know. Um, and it's a part. It, it, it wakes everything up. But how do I deal with the emotionality of this lived life? 
then there's a whole Rabbi Nachman thing, or Itra Maya Morgenstern thing, a whole Joey Rosenfeld thing. There's the other streams of Judaism that sing to different parts of the Jewish soul. We're a collective. We're not one thing. Is Joey Rosenfeld someone I got to get on? Yes. The, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen to him. He's, he's therapy. No, someone for, shared some videos with me. I um, Yes. He and I spoke a couple of times. Yes, especially for for the place where spirituality and philosophy and Kabbalah and mysticism work where it kisses and where it winds up being relevant um for me have you and him had the i don't know if you've had conversations with him but i did hear a conversation with him about psychedelics where he was probably leaning more towards challenging it pretty uh so i think pretty heavily so i did hear it which is not an issue i'd love someone to sit down here and i and there is definitely what to be said i'm i definitely have a psychedelic mind and i'm definitely not what i'm not a proponent for pushing anything uh, so I think there's value in both sides of the conversation. And I've seen enough people, myself included, get, quote-unquote, stuck or wrapped up into uh, the psychedelic cyclone, um, especially when it becomes communal. To go and do your own responsible journey with medicine, gesundheit, like everybody has, has the right to do it. But once it becomes a thing, and I think we see that it's becoming a thing, uh, things can blow up. <laughs> Oh, so, so, so what are the concerns? Speak to that. I mean, you've been, you've been at this path longer than I. What have, are the but... concerns? So there's two. With uh, you want to speak to this ayahuasca specifically? Whichever, yeah. So ayahuasca specifically, there's two main tribes. There's that were that would serve two schools of thought. There's the Shipibo, which is very much guided by the shaman and very uh, they'll guide it with their ikaros. And then there was the Yanawana or the Hunikuni that were very communal. It became a communal um, musical. Uh, experience and this is how i understand it you know i'm sure there are other people that know this more than than i do when you stick a bunch of people in that space in a communal space uh, there's a lot of interaction and there's a lot of energies wind up being shared the beauty of a shaman or somebody that could hold that space is that there's somebody holding the space in rhythmia there's someone holding the space and there there's a certain level of of cleanliness and it's and it's that needs care that needs that needs care wherever you go the first question i've asked somebody who wants to talk about it is like with who and there are different people and there are awesome people and i know many of them and i would sit with many of them again and again but when it's it becomes this thing to do oh you want to go tomorrow night to anaya like you you texted me for this yeah. i was like well, for this meaning, this podcast, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for for this podcast, like, well, okay, maybe that is not the that is not maybe that is not the most appropriate relationship one can have with with something like ayahuasca, to think that it is it, that it is the going to be the solver. I mean, it'll show you very quickly that it's not the solver, and if that doesn't, two days afterwards will. Um, has it been? Can it be instrumental? Yes, but it's also a part. Um, so I think a healthy relationship with psychedelics is needed. I think a healthy ego with psychedelics is, is, is needed. Okay, so let's pull this apart a little bit. So sure. the, concern, the concern you have is that as someone gets into psychedelics... I think it's the continuous use that I have that I could take issue with. And maybe it's an issue I'm taking with myself, but I see it, people, you know, profusely work with ayahuasca. And, it, and right, after, kind of living from one ceremony to the next. Yes. It's one ceremony to the next and going by cycle. And then it's not, if it's not with, this, with the same shaman, it's 
through different shamans and make make the rounds. Um, you know, one good ayah could last you a while. One coming in with the proper intention and the proper space and the set and setting will take you a while to to integrate. And there are steps that can be made from there to just keep on opening and opening and opening without actually getting your feet onto the ground. It's it's costly. When you say costly, you mean it takes a, it has an impact. It has an impact on your relationships, on my relationships. Um, and I'm not critical of it. I think that's just the reality of it. I've seen people that were very, very ayahuasca out. I've seen very, very smart people get taken out, like taken out like uh, full month psychosis afterwards. Um, and they were very fully functional, integrated people. And then they would go back because, you know, they want to work on something. I'm not taking anything away from them. You know, the way Peterson said, there's a price to pay for unearned wisdom. There's a lot of unearned wisdom that, that's, um, that's an ayah. There's a lot of relationships, inappro inappropriate, I'm going to name it, inappropriate relationships that happens in these circles. When you say inappropriate and relationships, meaning? Whether it's talking about married women, whether it's talking about people getting into relationships and it's their own free choice that may not actually serve them, but because they met each other in an ayahuasca thing and everybody is love, then it, you know anything is possible. So I'm not critical as much as I'm re realistic, that you take a bunch of um, Hamish people who are lonely, that are single, and then you stick them all in a, in a circle together, and you jam out for 12 hours straight, and then you come out, and, and, it's, and it's all good. But it's not always the most healthiest way. It's not a, uh, you know, ayahuasca is not an excuse to get into a relationship or to stay in a relationship with someone. I hear it. Yeah, it's not the. And I know you know uh, you know people probably from the other end like no they could really benefit from this and I know those people. No, I've too. seen that it's 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 not the, but it's not the way I've worked with it and mm -hmm. it's not what I've seen, kind of front and center. But I understand what you're. Uh, so what you're talking about. I didn't come into it with that. I came into it, you know, in Peru, and then I started working with a community that's totally separate. It was since COVID where it became a lot more. A lot more popular where it's like okay this is a this is a vibe and when did i become a vibe which is specifically when i what i saw in in the tri-state area i'm not talking about the ones that go to rhythm i'm not talking about right. the ones that go away i'm like going away it definitely has its value but um like okay fine let's go to let's go to a prayer i'm like okay I'm, I'm thinking twice specifically because it's a very deeply personal experience that has an, has an amazing potential. So to treat it with a sense of sanctity and not so fluid or flippant. Understood. So I, I guess... Maybe I'm uh, too harsh. I, I, no, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I have seen, you know, for me, it's, it's new to me, right? I'm several years um, into my first experience, mm -hmm. right? About four years in, it's not... That's time. It depends, right? So maybe comparing to some people, um, to it's... There's there's been a crazy wave in the last few years, mm. four years, dealing with these medicines that are, um, you know, they're more powerful than cars. You know, we wouldn't. And we don't know enough. Well, right. So I'm so um, it's definitely hey, what's going on here? But I've seen so much promise with so mm -hmm. many people struggling with, you know, in their marriages who are about to get divorced yes. and go, going through experiences yes. or um, suicidal ideation or other kind of very serious issues. I've and heard phenomenal things about Iboga. I have not tried it, but phenomenal things about Iboga. 
Um, I, psilocybin and I are very, very good friends, and I've worked personally and professionally with that, and people see amazing promise with MDMA. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Fantastic. Ketamine doesn't call me just now, but people, some love it, some not so much. So I definitely appreciate the use um, the, and working with them, and it's needed, and it's integral, and it's happening. Though the responsibility of it and the, um, the due di diligence that should be done sober before and after is, is, is important to me. Because I've seen, because right. I want to see it around. I don't want to see it just become and blow up and become this right, next thing. It's too sacred okay, and too so important that's your issue. to just somebody pokes it wrong and then, you know, you need a whole cochlear and eye. Like, why does Aya need that? It doesn't need that. Just let, let it be what it is, a beautiful healing space. Right. And you're saying done responsibly, done with intention. Right. I'm a yeah. big proponent um, of... I'm a big proponent of that, mm -hmm. you know, going to Costa Rica for four or five days, blocking that time out, planning it months in yeah. advance. You know, my, my rule of thumb for myself that I've used is a, it's planned in advance. Yeah. Right. There isn't like, Hey, let's do this tonight. Even if it's, let's go to Costa Rica tonight. Even if it's something like that. No, we're, this is something planned. It's on the calendar. And what is it that needs to be worked on? It's it's different for me now after I've had a number of experiences mm -hmm. that today I'll say, okay, if I'm going in, what is it that needs to be worked on that I've tried to hit it with other tools, mm -hmm. whether it's breath work or rape or um, speaking to a coach or processing myself or journaling. And I say, okay, this is something that I need to bring out the power tools for. Because to me, the way I look at it now is if I need medicine mm -hmm. to communicate something to me, then that's that's going to be a much tougher medicine. It's actually much gentler mm -hmm. in the real world mm -hmm. than it is in Usually under is. medicine. <laughs> I remember the I remember the Elul ceremonies and growing up. I mean, it's the time of year. I, I grew up in a way where I was proficient in beating myself up in Elul, and like you gotta really squeeze yourself in order to, you know, get that wonderful year that you're praying for. You may want to get a little bit more. And then I world. and then I. One L years ago, I I came into I was the first one that I had after Peru, and it was just, it just knocked me in my own head, and it was just knocking me, and I'm re and I realized in the medicine like all that's going on here is it's it's putting a loudspeaker on so much of my own inner voices and my inner critics and um the the parts of me that say lush and horror about myself, and I'm like okay so this is what it is I I, I know I say all this stuff I need to go into an ayahuasca session in order to to hear that and then to learn to learn how to let that go and sometimes i don't oftentimes i don't and what i found that a lot of my big moves did not happen because because or after aya it was a wonderful part that sprinkled them on the journey it was an amazing part to get through certain hurdles that i wasn't just not able to get through by myself and i needed help i needed medicine i needed something to pop right pop me out of myself for 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 a few and it was a wonderfully helpful and then boots are on the ground and then i have Here's to go be husband and provider and father and drive my car and so i think it's it's it it's sounds right it. right it sounds like what you're saying you know this is not too this sounds like what you're saying is that these are incredibly sacred tools mm -hmm. and treat them with that 
um, reverence and will get more out of it and um, avoid do or don't do that and do it at your, at your own risk. Yeah, I think, and I, I also, I think somebody, somebody who had, a, had an opinion over what um, either Joey Rosenfeld said or somebody said about, about psychedelics, like somebody had an opinion about what somebody, about somebody's opinion. And it's a guy who did, I had two, two months prior to, I'm sorry, my humble opinion, two months after a ceremony does not make you a person that starts to have opinions about, uh, about what professionals have to say about I, you're still integrating the experience. A lot of the experience is still integrating. And just because I've done it a month ago or two months ago, it's, it's still with you. You're still working with it. It's still working with you. And it's, there's so much of life that still needs to be lived before you start being able to gauge, is this good? Is this not? Did it work for me? Did I, did I have growth? There's, there's progress that needs to be tracked and honesty and inventories. So I, I don't know if I'm adding to, to the conversation right. or detracting speak, at this point. Speak to a little bit more of the relationship stuff that you're, um, that that you mentioned, the kind of relationships that may form in the medicine spaces, and your concern there. Um, so I want to say this with so much respect, because I honor and love and cherish the relationships that carried with me in those relationship spaces. Um, but in that circle, you are touching something called collective consciousness where there's a certain achdus, there's a certain interconnectivity, and there's a certain allowance of being able to be in relationship and be with another person. So, and there's a certain allure, and there's a certain glimmering and elimerance to other people. People, and there's a certain um, letting down of guards and inhibitions. That's why people love singing in that space. That's why people love sharing in that space. That's why people say, do not touch anyone because stay in your own process because it's really easy to get lost into someone else's process and trip and basically lose track of your own process. There's a reason why in a lot of, we, it's done in the dark in Peru. And then there's a whole school of thought, no, candles, lights on, guitars, let's, let's jam. And there is, you know, there is a mahalach. I personally like me, the me, me and myself in the medicine in the dark because that's where I get to sit with myself. And if there's now, once it starts to become coming a kumzitz, Kolisha is most definitely a thing in that space. Erva exists even in ayahuasca. It's just what it is. Go Erva on. meaning? Erva meaning um, attraction. Um, how do you explain? Inappropriate attraction. It's possible. You get to feed the beast in, in, in an eye. You could most definitely feed the beast in eye. You might glimmer it into something holy and wonderful. Um, so coming out of it it would be wonderful to take space for yourself but then there's new connections that form wonderful connections that form um recently i was i sat with i, I sat with someone and i saw uh, a woman there that i went to kindergarten with and first grade with and second grade we have some different uh conversations here and there but it was wonderful to share space with her and then she goes and lives her life and i go and live mine well what if i was single or what if uh, i was having trouble in my marriage or what if I wanted, maybe I, I was not in my own opportune, most uh, optimal health. Um, and you see, especially in the Hamish world, they don't, we're not always taught boundaries. We're not always taught how to properly say no. 
we're not always probably know how to stay in our own dollar diamonds, our own for our own, uh, you know, yeah. square feet, square footage. So again, I'm not saying anything is wrong with anything aside from these, this is a sensitivity that one can have, or the people leading must have that the people leading this must have that you're playing with people's lives. Leading in these circles, you are playing with, with somebody's life. There are, I know the marriages that ended. I know the marriages that began from those space. I remember the inappropriate, inappropriate relationships that formed from, from those places. It is most definitely a thing. It is a mitzias. There's a reason why Peru is rampant and Ecuador with shamans that take advantage of someone. That's not, let's, let's be very honest. If we could talk about child molestation, we could talk about people taking advantage of other people in ayahuasca. Again, the people that I know are the most wonderful people in the world. I trust them with the deepest parts of my soul. I can hold both. I can, uh, not because I'm any special, but the Mitzias is the Mitzias. Right. There's, there's someone who told me there's nowhere so sacred that it can't be defiled. There's yes. nothing so sacred that it can't be desecrated. Yes. I mean, if, if, if Titus could bring a pig into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, what makes your, your circle so holy? Understood. Um, uh, maybe I'm a little bit crude, but that's that's my reality. I live in a no. Place I understand what you're saying. I've seen so I've I've seen some of what you're talking about with relationships. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of that. I've seen a tendency sometimes um, to use spiritual terminology to seduce someone else. Mm -hmm. I've seen a tendency to use spiritual terminology to seduce oneself. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I I saw under the medicine that. Uh, I'm meant to be with this person. Yes. I uh, came out of my first, uh, my, my, that ayahuasca retreat. There was a woman I was dating at the time. I was convinced I was marrying her. And I told her probably about my, my, my medical stuff because I was like, because the medicine was, showed me what it showed me. I mean, it also showed me that I, that I, you know, my deep dark. It also showed me the parts of myself that, that needed healing from being molested. It also showed me that there's a part of me that chose it and a part of my soul that chose it. And I was, you know, seeing that at 23 and digesting it. So it's going to show you so, it showed me so much. It was amazing. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying is that the, whoever is facilitating this space um, is responsible for a lot. You're putting a lot in their hands in yes. terms of holding and creating a space that um, respects individual processes, that doesn't allow for inappropriate connections to, to form for it to be misused in mm -hmm. some way and also to set it up for a person hey this is what you're going into and i, th I think what you're saying about i'm not saying the people that are doing it are not doing that there are many people who are yeah but there are some things that and i, I know good people who lead good ceremonies and i've seen things afterwards that can still mm -hmm. form but still appro appropriate warnings on the front end and appropriate um integration on the back end um is 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 important Right, definitely something I've seen. I've seen it, I mean, growing up with religion and using a lot of uh, religious terminology to excuse poor mm -hmm. behavior and seeing it also within spiritual communities that there is a wonderful way to use spiritual terminology to, um, to mask, to kosher some pretty toxic um, so it winds up behaviors being a form, and mindsets. And it winds up being a form of spiritual bypassing. And I found this specifically. Sometimes it's worse, spiritual manipulation. Hmm? Sometimes it's worse, a form of spiritual manipulation. Very much so. But I found this also in people that have, were deep in the medicine work, 
and they came to me for breath work. And this is when I first started out doing breath work groups in, in months before before it was a thing. And you know, there were these deep aya uh, people, but when it came time breathing, they had, to breathing, they had no idea how to breathe into their bellies. So if I'm not breathing into my belly, that tells me that I'm not being, I'm not embodied. So I've I've done fifty ayahuasca ceremonies, and that's wonderful. And I'm sure there is healing that was done, and I'm not embodied. So it doesn't, in in some ways, it doesn't stim that well to work to work with in such an intense experience, and not also practice being embodied. Is it, anyways, it, it serves. It doesn't serve the overall process. And breathwork was instrumental in that for them. And and these same concerns you don't see in breathworks. What do you mean? Um, so in, so I mainly only breathe men, and it's not as interactive at all. It's a finite amount of time. You get in and you get out. I've have I have been in right. Uh, and there's no kind of I have been in breathwork retreats, uh, the non-Jewish kind, and the trainings where it's very lovely. It's very it's very lovey-dovey and you know you're 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 you, you smile and you crush and you're accepted and it's wonderful uh for heimish jewish men that come to my retreats it's it's not as much but you're already saying that right if you're if you're working with men then you're already saying something about yes. that, that yes you... yes and i get asked all the time do i work with do i work with women on occasion yes i don't i don't always need to enter uh into that realm like I, I like being clean, clean in that sense where there are plenty of women facilitators, female facilitators, or other male facilitators that will work with women, and will work with them in a in a psychedelic space. Have I worked with women in psychedelic spaces? Yes, but I, I see, I see the dangers, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. Understood. Um, like my priorities are just being in alignment with my wife, with my kids, and my life, and. I don't need that crazy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean these are appropriate questions that I think um go with uh with almost everything. I know when uh when I came to the 12 steps for the first 6 months or so, I was in in re- in the recovery rooms they call it a pink cloud. I was in the pink cloud. I never heard that term. I never heard the expression. I never heard that expression. Really, they always the term all the, all the time in the rooms that I was uh attending about the pink cloud of recovery. You come in and you just think Everything is perfect. There's a little Disneyland here mm-hmm. where people are working on themselves and you can trust them. And the disasters that I've had trying to do business with people in the rooms outside of it, just all of the same yeah. things that I thought I was coming to the rooms to avoid were now, meaning we're now showing up with these same yeah. people because at the end of the day, right, people are people mm-hmm. and we, we do those things and letting our guards down too much in any one space thinking this space is sacred this space this space is protected yeah. this it's the same mistake many balchuvas made coming to religious communities mm-hmm. thinking that their kids weren't going to be sexually abused people oh wow it's it's an extreme example of no it. that makes sense they're but, not ready for that betrayal of the system right but they went in with a little bit too much naivete it's not it's it's not a knock on the religious community that people can get sexually abused so so my mother has this thing sometimes i talk to her about like what i do like i don't need to go get into gross detail but um sometimes it comes up in conversation i tell her the horror story she's like but 
but he's a rabbi, but there's, but they have beards, but they're from, but they, he wears, <laughs> right. it's just and he wears film. And I'm just like, ah. People are people. People are people. People are people. And, and it doesn't make it bad. It's not, it, I think I mean, people are What's ready. wrong is wrong. It doesn't make the whole thing bad. But it's, What I you're cautioning again is painting the whole picture white. I mean, you could tell me this. Um, growing up, I'm assuming that there are assumptions made based off of the exterior that a person is going to be safe. That is going to live in alignment with the the vush that they're wearing. Right? When did that? For me, when yeah. was it pop? Maybe when I was molested by someone who was in that lavush. I, I don't know, but or maybe when I was beat as a kid by my teacher. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. I I don't know that growing up in it, you mm. end up with those same um, blind spots mm. because you just see the people as people, and as you're growing up, you see the um, the the human imperfection. Mm-hmm. It's someone stepping into it. Mm-hmm. Thinking I've just left a world mm-hmm. where there's bad, and now I'm walking into a world where there's only good. Yeah, and we run those same risks walking into a religious community, walking into an ayahuasca circle, walking into a twelve-step meeting. If we let our guards down too much, obviously we need to trust in order mm-hmm. to to heal, and that's the that's the tough part, mm-hmm. right? So you're saying do that due diligence on the front end. Yeah, yeah. The qu- first question is always with who. The first question is always with who. And yeah, because that's the, if I'm going to trust them to hold this, my my sanctity, my dignity, my I'm going to want to feel safe. Right. I've only sat with two different um, shamans, mm-hmm. and um, the first group I, I wouldn't sit with again. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was discomfort around Judaism, but in general, I didn't feel the 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 strength of the space. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I was in someone else's um, care. Mm-hmm. I just felt like I was thrown to the wolves a little bit. Mm-hmm. The words that kept coming to mind during it was, I'm in the lion's den. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's what I felt like. And then uh, sitting with someone else who I felt a tremendous amount of that strength and safety and trust. Um, so I've, I've only seen those two. I'm not 100% sure of what's out there for it. So else. after a while when I got my bearings, when I would sit and I'd be like, okay, this is going to be a ceremony where I'm going to need to stay a certain amount of of awake and then and work with the medicine that way this is going to be a place where i get to you know relax a little bit more so i have this this ease and maybe it's my own critical factor maybe it's because i'm you know six five over 200 pounds and like i'm i don't want to let my guard down so easily but um but it's also you're talking about having years of experience in this space and years of experience in in the healing space it's different than someone walking in a virgin, so to speak. Great. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what I would always really look for is a recommendation. I would always look for a recommendation for somebody that, um, that I trust. Um, at least a starting point. Like, give me a starting point. If I have that starting point with you, then, then and we can meet, if both of us can meet, meet in, in, in alignment with this type of guy, then, okay, now we could kind of, there's somebody to talk to. So I look for that as well. And, um, and there's a lot of self-trust that winds up getting cultivated along the way. Really a lot of listening to my own intuition with it, listening to my own inner guidance with it. Um, and you recommend as much as possible working in same-sex groups, same-sex facilitators, et cetera? Um, with Aya? Well, Aya, you don't always have that option necessarily. No, are you talking about... facilitator. In- but let's say within the groups, right? So a shaman may... Are we talking about it from groups? We're talking about... Any. In- 
I think there's value in both. I mean, people ask me, um, well, what about breathwork? There's one-on-one -on -one sessions, there's men's groups, there's mixed groups, there's, there's a female facilitator. I've tried them all and there's wisdom everywhere. And then there's a person will act his own discretion. I know people that they will not sit in a ceremony with a woman. I'm like, okay, I hear you. I've done it. So I can't tell you I'm not going to do it, but I've done it. So that's where I'm at. But people who will only work with a from facilitator, will only work with a Jewish facilitator, will only work with someone that's completely secular and outside of anything right. devoid, completely devoid of Judaism. I hear all of it. Um, and it's finding those things that are comfortable for all, you. All, yeah. Everybody to their own comfort level. And there is, there is no right. There is no right way. There is, there's a way. And everybody has their own way with it. And, and yeah, that, that, that's with Aya. But with other places, specifically when it comes to facilitating psilocybin, facilitating MDMAs, and I'm touching the point where you were touching before, there's a certain degree of how much of the facilitator is inserting themselves into the process. With any of these places, the person running the process is inserting themselves into the process. They are always of it. There is always a part of it. And so long as that is actually recognized and understood um, and checked and reviewed, I think that's also a value. People ask me for many years, well, you did all this work. How, can you, how could you facilitate? I was facilitating and working with groups for forever. What I found was the feedback loop from the group was always very, very helpful. I wasn't dealing with substances for the vast most part. I was presenting, and people were feeling, and people were breathing. You know, BS stinks, and it wasn't stinking that bad. And whatever did stink, you know, we tried to clean up. So I think a feedback loop, an honest feedback loop, is integral to anybody who's working with it and thinking about working with it and facilitating it. When you say a feedback loop, you mean what? Of of people, of friends, of, of um, people whose opinion you would actually respect or in value, not someone who uh, puts you on the pedestal, somebody who sees you as you are, not on your pedestal. You're saying as a facilitator, yeah. making sure that you're getting yeah, yeah, feedback yeah, yeah. and not, okay. Yeah. Right, getting honest, critical feedback. Yeah. Okay, let's, um, let's bring this together a little bit because we went in a lot of um, different places. In terms of someone... Um, Working with you, how does how does that work? Um, what do you do? What do you offer? You mentioned so anywhere dollars. from the life coaching, um, hypnotherapy, whether it's regular regression work, regular inner child work, breath work is a huge component. On occasion, I work with past life regression or life between lives um, hypnosis, which is a wonderful, beautiful modality. Um, I do family constellations. I run a lot of uh, different types of retreats. My latest banner is called Hineni, and I'm running one at the end of October. Uh, it's a four-day breathwork retreat, uh, about six breathwork sessions, coaching before and after. Um, family constellations, it's, there's a couple of facilitators on it as well. It's a wonderful vibe. It's a wonderful space. You're more than Is that invited. for men, women? Uh, it's no, it's for men. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't, I, I've worked with couples. I don't, I'm not doing couples retreats it's, uh, just now. I need, that's not just and this not is where geared, I'm at. So it's geared to men going through what sort of challenges? Uh, going through life. Um, whether it's integration, whether it's self-acceptance, whether it's trauma work, whether it's inner child work, whether it's whatever way they're, they want to get out of their own way and stop. Uh, Mostly from religious backgrounds. From the from the vast majority, yeah. I mean, nobody's. Some people smoked on Shabbos. Some people don't. Some people have their phones. Most right, not in terms don't. of where they are today, but just in terms of their background. Yeah, it's it's more it's most it's a Jewish space. It's a Jewish friendly space. 
um, mainly mainly Orthodox. I've worked with with non-Jews, and it's it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. But there's a certain medicine that I carry to the to the from world, and whether it's because of my background, whether it's because of what I learn and that I keep on learning. Um, yeah. And how do people find you? Is there a website? Is there really, it's word of mouth. I tried to do the websites and I developed it um, somewhat. I'm not happy with it. And so it's not out. But really, it's word of mouth. I'm, again, I have, I have a life and right. I have work and I have a child. Like I stayed home today to, mm-hmm. to do this and it's wonderful and I'm appreciative. So if I'm able to be a part of someone's process and if it works and if it's a shidduch, awesome. And if not, also good. If someone um, listening to this uh, wants to reach out, they'll find me. Okay, maybe somewhere in the uh, yeah, yeah, in the notes. They'll find me. It's not mm-hmm. it's not that hard. Okay. Um, but um, I think the one thing that I would I would say, and I thought to myself, what would I want to say, is that I'm somebody that tries my best to live it. I do. I, I really, really do. The 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 cornerstone of that has been not moving from learning learning Torah, learning reading, but really mainly the learning aspect, the continuity of that. I know the structure of Yiddishkeit is the structure of Yiddishkeit. I found home in that. I found stability in that. For me, like I needed to, to do something to create that structure, and that's what kept me, for lack of a better term, sober. Because um, I, I want something to fall back on. Maybe it's the Sparty blood in me where it's, you know, God's not this mean. Doesn't have to be explained yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, God's not this bad SOB in the sky waiting to like shoot down a lightning bolt. This guy yesterday literally said, like, once I learned that God's not going to kill me for turning on the light on Shabbos, like it was done, I was like, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> these um, ideas that get in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so unbelievable. These, these ideas that get put into um, our head. And, it's just awful. Where are you going with this? With this? With this in search of whole, because whole is whole. You know, is which really, like so, really, like I don't know. This is number what? Uh, this is probably 160, 170. God bless you. Man. Of these uh, episodes, um, I'm I'm not looking that far into mm-hmm. it at this point. Um, this is very much the way this conversation happened. It was serendipitous mm-hmm. in some way. There's something comes up and does it feel right then at that moment? And this didn't start with some sort of major plan to mm-hmm. to build a um, a podcast. It's funny because I had done the talk on porn addiction in 2019. Mm-hmm. It blew up, had tons of um, views, and I didn't have anything to. Mm-hmm. There was no. It was more than views, I and mean, people were reaching out and wanting to do stuff. Uh, you know, a TED talk comes out and it. There are many, many talks that come out. It's not just going on the platform, but this one hit. And a lot of people reaching out, but I didn't have anything necessarily to offer or direct people towards. And fast forward about a year and COVID hits. And there was just this sense that, you know, this whole idea around 12-step anonymity, I hear it. I hear it and I understand the benefits of it and everything else. And I just wondered if maybe we had gone too far with it. And there was something that recovered addicts had learned mm-hmm. that was so beneficial to the world that maybe we can bring that out there a little bit. And where I felt it most strongly was watching how so many people who on, a, on their face didn't have 
crazy struggles, right? They had, you know, whatever regular lives mean, okay? Mm -hmm. run, of, run, of, run of the mill stuff, no major trauma, but here they were with COVID just on their ass, mm -hmm. not figuring it out at all, really having a hard time. And I didn't feel that, that way completely, even though there was a lot of it that was very, very difficult um, going on at the same time for me. In the business side of it, a lot of change, a lot of concern, a lot of mm -hmm. unknown. That was one side of it. Obviously, everything, everyone else was dealing with COVID. And then finding out my wife was pregnant and dealing with some complications in the first three months of um, pregnancy that were very difficult for her emotionally and for our family. And um, going through that experience, like right in the heart of COVID, and still feeling like I can breathe. Mm. And seeing a lot of people who weren't, and I said, what's the variable? What's the difference? And it felt to me like the difference was recovery. Mm -hmm. That some of those lessons that I had learned in recovery um, were benefiting me now. Mm -hmm. Meaning what it took for me to get sober seemed, from porn addiction, seemed to be very relevant right now as I was trying to navigate um, this COVID world. And, and think about it. I, said, hey, why don't I, a lot of people are home, why don't I bring some of these messages out? So I reached out to a number of people in the Jewish community who were also within the mm -hmm. recovery space and said, let's do an event calling Let Go and Let God mm -hmm. and just have this online webinar. And then just one thing led to another. We were doing them, then said, hey, why don't we record it? Why don't we put it on a podcast? And then, you know, kind of as it, um, it morphed into this, and then I test out different things, and some seemed to work. And some less so, the stuff that don't kind of die down, these conversations um, I've gotten good feedback from, I've made incredible connections from. It's much more than just sitting down and having a conversation mm -hmm. with someone. A lot of people I get to know afterwards, somehow I get to um, know them, people who are reaching out to me then are, are working with them. There's something yeah. that happens. I almost feel like it's, uh, I see this podcast as this big pipe above me that mm -hmm. allows for blessings to funnel into um, yeah. my life. And everything I do to facilitate it, to, to, to help it, to allow it to grow, just allows for more of these blessings to, uh, to, to come in. And I get, I get nice feedback from, from others. I mean, like you, you were saying, I don't think of it as I'm doing something that no one else is doing. I'm just having conversations and sharing what's on my heart and you know, opening that space to others as well. But for whatever reason, for a lot of people, it just feels very different. So I'm going with I it. Think, I think the difference for me, if I could speak to it, is it, it's sang to a different part of me. It's sang to a part of me that I did not know allow, I could allow to sing. And the vibration and the ripple um, brought a sense of cohesion to dissonance that, that was there. And I was like, wait, we can talk about this? We can actually have have that conversation. Do you know how many people on, in the SSA world that listen to uh, the YY talk on that he was talking about then? And it's like that nobody spoke about this. Nobody spoke. Right, about you're this. saying the concept of uh, the, the, homosexuality. The concept of homosexuality. The concept of, of psychedelics. You calling out the call of the chauffeur thing with uh, with the t which you know, uh, hey, I was there. So it's like, wow, okay, so there is someone who holds holds the record and can and sees elements and those flashing lights the way I was and can bring it up in conversation is not scared to bring it up into, into conversation. That has value. That has value to, for me. And I think for other people, well, clearly for other people. So that willingness is definitely worth applauding. The vulnerability of it, the, the, 
authenticity of it. It's fantastic. Thanks. I appreciate that. And in terms of where it's going to go, I have uh, no idea. Last, um, a few uh, few weeks ago, I got a message from Mayor Kay, and he says, hey, Ellie, I was just doing a, a breath work, um, like something himself, mm-hmm. breathing, and I'm thinking you and I should do a workshop. And I took one breath, and I said, sounds good. And he said, just like that, didn't think any convincing. I said, just took a breath. It feels good. Let's do it. Yeah. So it's a lot of it is just going with those things and trusting, trusting when something when when something works and when it um, mm-hmm. when it doesn't, then paying attention to those messages along the way, like a guest canceled, totally cool. Who yeah. knows what was what was avoided? And a new guest comes on, and you know, kind of this the serendipity of it, just allowing it to flow and not really, really, really trying not to overthink it. Yeah, basically, um, that that's my story, the overthinking it. And I knew when I was watching you and the different talks I'm saying there's a part of me that wants to express I don't know what that looks like I have no idea what that looks like and I don't know if I've done it but um (laughs) I have no idea if I've done it or done it correctly but I'm happy I'm here I'm happy I I get to breathe my way to a place where it's possible to actualize what I've wanted and maybe just maybe I could let go of judging myself along the way and I like I see it peeling back um people ask me sometimes I don't, how do I live? I was facilitating someone uh, in MDMA and he looks at me and he's like, well, he saw how I was able to just see and to hold space and to listen. And I'm not even putting myself on a pedestal. I was just holding space and listening. He's like, wow, you're really lonely. I looked at him and I was like, you, what? He's like, yeah, you're one of the most loneliest people ever. He said to you? Yes. Okay. I was like, why? <laughs> he's like, because nobody sees it the way you do. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no, that was that was extremely clear to me, um, which is interesting coming back, coming from where I, I came from, from the SY community and doing all that. And I could still dance phenomenally well in that community and roll with it. I married into this, you know, right. my wife's that's why it's 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 fun. It's great deal. It's but at the same time, knowing that you slightly dance to the beat of a different drummer. Yeah, I mean, there's several drums. <laughs> <laughs> there's several drums there's always the facilitator inside of me that's awake there's always the human inside of me having the human experience and then there's the spiritual side that's consistently overarching and seeing everything right i think going back to the like the role model piece one of the mistakes um we make sometimes when we're looking at someone and we say oh well, i admire mm-hmm. a part of them and then we try to model it too closely mm-hmm. we're actually not modeling it because it winds up being a caricature of it. exactly because what they're doing that we're admiring mm-hmm. is not copying someone else. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is finding what's true to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, um, I think it was in a conversation with Chase Taub. He said to me, those, those feelings that come before and after something, those are angels communicating to us. So when mm-hmm. we do something and our heart sings, when we feel alive after we do something, mm-hmm. that's... The angels saying, hey, do more of this. The angels mm-hmm. don't communicate in, in mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. But something like this, it's saying, okay, let's, let's give this guy a rush of, a good, of good feelings after this. That way he knows, or I know, you know, it's okay, let's do more of this. This feels, this feels great. And yeah. sometimes we can do something. I remember the first few times I, I spoke, I felt so good getting up in front of a crowd and, and speaking. And I had this major fear associated with it. And I thought, okay, this is what I'll be doing. And then it just started feeling flat 
and uncomfortable <laughs> and I felt disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt too forced. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't, it wasn't interesting for me anymore. I wasn't getting the same, the same feeling. So even though that translated eventually into me finding another way to express myself, and this may be a stepping stone to, mm-hmm. um, to something else, that was a stepping stone to, to this. It wasn't the thing. So for a few times, it gave me a very nice feeling, and then that stopped. Mm-hmm. Paying attention to the message, I said, okay, there's something close to this that gets me, but not this. Mm-hmm. Let me try it in, in different ways. And today, I do very little um, rehearsal before mm-hmm. uh, a conversation. I feel like I prepared my whole life for it. Yeah, because it's just an arrival. I think uh, I said this to a friend of mine uh, the day of my wedding. And I told him that I have to believe that you don't want that when you're there, you're going to just want to be there and you wouldn't rather be anywhere else. And my blessing to you is that you always live your life that way, where wherever you are, you can allow yourself to be there and you don't need to be anywhere else because you belong there. And I think I find that I find that with my daughter, I find that with my wife, like, this is my place, this is my home. And to live with that, I called my organization Journey to Home for a bunch of years, and then I wound up in Hineni. And so that's my, I guess, presence that I want that I want to carry with me. That wherever I am, okay, I found myself here. Why? How? It's kind of irrelevant. Um, so just be here. And if I could quiet my mind and breathe, <laughs> and allow myself, give myself permission to be, and meet phenomenal people along the way, it's it's quite. It's quite extraordinary. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. I feel inspired to share one more thought just because it's sure. a, um, sitting with me. Um, I don't know if I ever shared it on the podcast, but I've spoken about it a number of times. Is I, I read an article a number of years ago about um, the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. That I forget his name. I don't know why. But the CEO of Goldman Sachs, he became CEO not too long ago. And he's a DJ and he likes to ride the subway. And in the article, they made a really big deal about the fact that after he became the CEO, he continued to do these two things. I think the DJ, he tried kind of keeping mm-hmm. less known, um, but the, the riding the subway, he continued to do it, according to the article that I remember. And what struck me about it was that the article found it unique that someone who climbed the top of the financial corporate mm-hmm. ladder was still able to embrace his passions, mm-hmm. which you'd think the opposite. What are you chasing your passion? What are you, what are you chasing the money for? Mm-hmm. What are you chasing the success for if not to be a little bit more free mm-hmm. to, to do what it is you love to do? What, obviously, you love being a DJ. Obviously, there's something about riding the subway that he finds neat. Mm-hmm. Why just because he was a major success? I understand sometimes it can be physical safety risks and stuff like that for mm-hmm. Certain people in positions of power, as a president is not going to ride the subway alone anymore. So yes, there are certain ways that it could crimp someone's style, mm-hmm. but their passion, like a DJ, should should go away. And here it was almost written as a given. And I thought that maybe a lot of us are, as we as we get some sort of, it doesn't matter how the success comes, but my business affords me the ability to do something like this for a day, mm-hmm. a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. And for many people. Um, financial success or getting to a certain level in on the corporate ladder or in other areas of life somehow crimps their style. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sad. I think if anything, mm-hmm. it should do just the opposite is the fact that we, someone 
has gotten to that space that they have the freedom to do, then that freedom to do should also come with the freedom to be. I think people in every tax bracket has have their own unique passions that deserve to be expressed and explored and can bring them to greater thriving. And I've done it with all different types in all different ages and all different iterations. And that people are really wonderfully human when you allow them to be oh, and they right. allow themselves to be. One of the first lessons in yeah. in recovery that I saw, we're surrounded by multimillionaires, mm-hmm. homeless people, all the same, mm-hmm. meaning shared on one. And we all cry the same. <laughs> right, shared the human struggle. My point over there is how success, financial success, or not life success, we can sometimes turn into its own prison, but it's just- Very it's easily. Really, very easily. Very But it's just false. If yeah. someone's going to see me as this person doing this thing, what are you talking about? That's that's the gift that you got from mm-hmm. being that person. Now you can do yeah. <laughs> this yeah, yeah, yeah. other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can and, be on and it, I, I mean, I did see with this work, I, mean, I know we're winding down, there, there's a difference. Um, I mean, we don't necessarily have to talk about it, but I'll just, there's the value that I have in getting this, doing a lot of this when I was single before I was married, before I had a house, before I had any of those things, is that I was in it for the love of it. I was in it for the, for the beauty of it, for the healing of it, for the wholeness of it, for the, you know, yeah, the drama yeah. of it. And the money was a perk. The money was good. Um, but it wasn't it because I didn't have that leverage. Um, now, I'm just really grateful that I have a business and a focus where I get to still do what I love and it doesn't need to be about that. And I could still... I could still dance that dance. And I think what I found with people is that money is always definitely a factor and appreciating that and honoring that and not letting that crimp your style. Um, having money. Having money, not having money. Right. I meant in this case, having money. Achieve that sometimes someone achieves that success and it crimps their style. You're saying I'll we can use anything. I'll put it this way. I remember both. Right. I remember use- both. <laughs> so You're saying we can use anything to crimp our style. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. (laughs) Don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that. Really, just don't be that guy. Don't be a Karen. Don't be that guy. Um, Because it's it's cute and but yeah. And I've seen people come come onto a workshop decked, like decked. But and then and they're just as human. They're just as wonderfully wounded and human. And then you have other people that really they just they they didn't have that hatzlacha yet. And they're just as equally, if not more, beautifully human. So it's like, okay, it's not a place where I'm judging with that. Um, But yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks, Moshe Chaim. You've earned your name. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) Eli is short for? Eliyahu Alter. Ah, Gavah. I'll tell you. (laughs) You're really bringing something. (laughs) Really bringing something. Thank you very much. What is it in Spanish? Todos somos medicinos. I think uh, we're all medicine. I may have pronounced it slightly wrong. <laughs> uh, we're all medicine. Yeah, and todo medicina dentro is everybody has medicine inside. Right. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>